Tov and good morning. Welcome everyone to the Ali A Day. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin. It is my pleasure and joy to be with you this morning. I want to welcome all of you who are watching from across the fruited plain and our beautiful globe and our round, beautiful, wonderful earth floating in the space that God created. We are glad you're here. I want to take a minute and welcome personally all of our uh, friends and family who are with us, and some of you watch us every day and join us every day, and it's a blessing. Stephanie, welcome from sunny California. I hope it's sunny anyway. Joy, welcome, watching from New Hampshire. So glad you're here. Yara, welcome. Glad you are watching from East Tejas. And uh, Juan, the Holy One, glad you are here. One of our local uh, Lapidniks, and Elizabeth, welcome. One of our, uh, another local Lapidnik. Celia, welcome, Celia. Glad you're here. De Devora Avant, welcome. Watching from uh, Granbury, Texas. Beautiful little part of Texas, just south of us. Lynn Job, welcome. Glad you're here. Gabrielle, watching from Germany. I'm so glad you're here, Gabrielle. Good evening to you, sir. And uh, the mighty Haber, watching from Paradise, naturally. Daniel, watching from Kansas City. Azariah, one of our local Lapidniks. Shoshana Tiemann, watching from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Shem, another Tulsa, Oklahoma area uh, Lapidnik. Glad you're with us, Shem. Uh, Forrest, welcome. Welcome, Forrest. Watching from, uh, I want to say Massachusetts, right, Forrest? Is that correct? I'm 99.9% .9 sure that is accurate. Katura, welcome. Glad you are here. Aziza, welcome. Glad you are here. Mary, welcome from Malaysia. Mary, watching from Malaysia. So glad you are here. And uh, that is a uh, wonderful little drummer girls from Granbury. Welcome. Glad you're here. Joshana Brenner, welcome. So glad you're here. Good evening, John, watching from any India. That is a joy and a blessing to have you. Charles and Michelle are Lapidniks watching from the lower Hudson Valley, New York, Lapid House. Miguel, bienvenidos, Miguel. You're watching from Tulsa. And uh, Connie Hamilton from Alabama. Going to Alabama with a banjo money. Glad you were here. Claire, welcome from South Africa. Glad you were here. Georgia, uh, Jenea from, uh, from Kansas City. So glad you're here with us again. Jenea Hadassah, one of my beautiful daughters. Glad you're watching, honey. Chilo Ben David, Simplify. Glad you're here. Uh, Diane Bloom, Hadass. It's free. Welcome, Hadassah Bauer from the Lapide House, Lapide Synagogue, that is, in uh, Tulsa. Sarah Diaz. Hola, Sarah. One of our local Lapidniks. Man, look at all these beautiful people. Yiska, Al, Wanda, Justin Martin. Good to see you. Raphael, good to see you. Who else we got? Nazari Faith, good to see you. It's good coffee, by the way. Thank you. Al, good to see you. Christopher Lopez from Denver, Colorado. Glad to see you with us. Elisheva, so welcome. Jackie, Jackie, bring your, good to see you. Forrest, you're watching from uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Nass, I was close to Massachusetts. I was in the same, I was in the right part of the country, Forrest, sorry. Uh, Christopher Lopez, uh, glad to see you. Anyway, all you beautiful people, it is uh, Jen, Gina, welcome. So good to see you. Wow, what a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Let's turn. And our art school homage to, um, let's see, page 
30. And uh, we're going to be begin reading in chapter 26, beginning in verse 13. That begins our third Aliyah, because this is the third day of the week. And so let's jump right to it, because we have some insights. We want to get to it naturally and see what Hashem wants to uh, share with us. So, verse 13. Good morning, Rachel from Tulsa, our other daughter. Good to see you on our Lepidniks in Houston. Ingrid, good to see you. And Mazel. There's Mazel. Welcome. All right. Uh, it says, the man became great. <clears throat> the man became great and kept becoming greater. My wife says this about me every morning. I, I rise from the bed and my wife greets me with good morning. The man became great and, and, and kept becoming greater. <laughs> Until he was very great. Verse 14. He had acquired flocks and herds and many enterprises, and the Philistines envied him. All the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up. I, I, was, I was actually looking forward to commenting on the wells. Um, there's just a lot of great things that the sages have to say, some of the commentators have to say, but Bezrat Hashem will get to it. So anyway, it says, the Philistines stopped them up and filled them with earth. <clears throat> and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you have become much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and dwelled there. And Isaac dug anew the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham's father. And the Philistines had stopped up every, uh, stopped up, excuse me, after Abraham's death. And he called them by the same names that his father had called them. Now that's another interesting insight. Called them by the same names that his father had called them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of fresh water. <clears throat> the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of that well Essek, because they involved themselves with him. They dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, and he called that name Sitna. He re relocated from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth and said, For now, Adonai has granted me ample space, and we can be fruitful in the land. All right, we're going to jump right to our sources, right to our insights. Hashem should help us to glean uh, wonderful things today, and we're going to get to it as much as possible. Click up. Hmm. All right, so let's see here. Let's discuss the wells, shall we? Now, it says here in the Kehot Chumash, the insights to the wells, because they're digging these wells, so there's got to be some significance to them. We have an uh, insight here, well, from the Gutnik, there we go. We'll share from the Gutnik and from the Kehot, and from another source over here about the wells. Let me go ahead and pull that up while I have you. Just talk amongst yourselves for just a quick second. There we go. All right, here's what it says. It says, this was fresh, precisely, excuse me, this was precisely the message Isaac communicated to the world by digging wells. What was the message? The message was, we need to get back to the business of uh, my father, that, um, that we're wanting to continue his mission. We want to bring down balance. We talked about, we left off um, talking about balance. Uh, yesterday, and we wanted to 
to understand what Isaac was trying to say about redigging these wells. What does it mean that they were stopped up um, by the Philistines? So it says here that uh, as opposed to filling a pit with water brought from elsewhere, digging a well reveals an already existing source of water merely concealed beneath the layers of the earth. Now this, ladies and gentlemen, is a wonderful insight related to the Holy Sparks. And I just want to further encourage you because each one of you are Holy Sparks. And there are people, I pray, I pray to Hashem right now, that there are people who are watching who are brand new, and maybe because you're brand new, you didn't want to say hello on a live chat, which is completely understandable. Many people watch and don't chat, and that's quite all right. But um, you're watching this, and you're wondering, how did I find this place? Why am I here? Here's why you're here. Because you have an existing spiritual well of water that Hashem wants to bring to the surface. But it says, if Abraham's refreshing water, or excuse me, I'm sorry, it says here, if Abraham's message to the world was, come, revive your jaded minds, your jaded understanding that's been, you know, callous and made callous by all the idolatry around you, Come and revive it with the refreshing water of divine consciousness. Come, let, it's, I want you to think about, what did, what did Yeshua say? Yeshua said, during the Feast of Sukkot, on the last and greatest day of the festival of Sukkot, what are we talking about? John chapter 7. He's talking about the last and greatest day. He, he stands up. What's going on? If you don't understand the festival of Sukkot, if you've never studied Judaism, you don't know what it means to be the last and greatest day of the festival. The last and greatest day of the festival is, is uh, Hoshana Rabbah. Now the actual last day of Sukkot is, is actually Shimon Yatzeret slash Simchatoah. But in fact, that's not really the last day of Sukkot. That's actually a separate, unique, extra festival. The last day, the seventh day of Sukkot, is Hoshana Rabbah. What goes on in Hoshana Rabbah? Hoshana Rabbah is like the great salvation. Okay? Well, on Hoshana Rabbah, we encircle the, back in antiquity, we would encircle the altar seven times. We would take water from a, a pitcher that we had gone down to the pool of Siloam to receive. And we would circle the altar with great pomp and circumstance, with great music, with shofar blasts, with just outcries of passion. And we would cry out to God, to God, Ana Hoshiana, Ana Hatsikana, God save now, God prosper now. And we pour the, the living water from the pool of Siloam. Why the pool of Siloam? By the way, the pool of Siloam is in Hebrew, the, the, the mikvah Shiloah. That sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Mikvah Shiloah. Oh, I know. We're building one and we called it the mikvah Shiloah. That's why I've heard that before. That's why it was fresh in my mind. Um, and so. The mikvah Shiloh, the pool of Siloam, was actually the biggest mikvah in Yerushalayim. It was a holy place 
It was a place where people went to mikvah, and that was the same pool where the angel would sometimes cause the water to stir, and therefore anybody who got into the water of the pool of Shiloh would receive refuah shlema, would receive a complete healing. May that be so for our mikvah that we're building here in uh, Saginaw, Texas. And so they would take the water, the living water of the mikvah, and they would pour it out, and they would cry out, It was there that Yeshua said, I am that well spring of living water. I am that refreshing water that is going to immerse you and, and bring you to a, a supreme level of divine consciousness, which is going to cause your carnal mind to be renewed and your spirit to be renewed. I'm that that living water. And by the way, once I renew you, then out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. You become a well. That's what's so important about the holy sparks. You say, wait a minute, a holy spark indicates fire, but yet you're saying I'm a, I'm a well. Well, that's the thing, is that fire and water are intended to dwell together. In theological terms, people have been taught erroneously that you can either have law, uh, Torah, that is the law of Moses, or you can have the Spirit of God. You can walk in the Spirit, or you can walk in the law, but you can't walk in both. It's the exact opposite message of the Bible. The reality is that God wants you to walk in the, in the Torah, that's the water, and he wants you to, to walk in the Spirit, that's the fire. And the reason we know that is because we see the picture of when Yeshua stands up on the mountain of transfiguration, who does he have to his side? He has Moses, the water, the law of God, and he has Elijah, the fire, the spirit of God. And the idea is that we're supposed to be spirit-led believers walking in Torah together in Mashiach. So anyway, back to our source. It says that if, if Abraham's message to the world was, come revive your jaded, incident minds with the refreshing water of divine consciousness, Isaac's message was, now that you have been revived... Look for your own source of water. In other words, you've got to dig out. Dig away, it says, all the dirt. Rid yourself of all the filth encumbering your life, and you will reveal within yourself a wellspring of divine awareness that will serve to quench your spiritual thirst your whole lifetime. See, this is the insidious nature of theologies that teach, hey, listen, just, just have don't worry about it. The insidious nature of that is the, the importance of God renew, renewing our mind and immersing us in Mashiach so that we can be awakened to divine consciousness. Then he wants us to study. He wants us to read. He wants us to apply. Why? So that we have the, the merit of digging out all of that dirt and filth that the enemy has put in us to stop us up. This is why it says it's the glory of God to uh, conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to find it. This is what this means. Now, there's another insight here about the wells. What do they represent? From the Gutna Kumash, it says, according to Ramban, according to Ramban, these three wells represent the three temples. 
It says, according to Ramban, the three wells dug by Yitzhak allude to the three holy temples, the holy base of, the holy base of Magdala. It says, the analogy of digging a well precisely describes the process of building the temples. First, there is a phase of intense physical effort to dig the well, followed by the actual filling the well with water, which does not require any direct effort. It simply floods in. Similarly, the building of the temple requires tremendous human effort, but the indwelling of the Shekinah, the Divine Presence, which is the very purpose of building the temple, is an effortless consequence of the temple's construction. You know, this is very interesting because many people, if you think about this on another level, people want the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. They want the indwelling of the Spirit, but they don't want to build the temple. The Spirit only came after the tabernacle and after the temple were constructed. This is what it means when it says we've got to make a Jewish home for God, a Jewish home for the, for the Shekinah. It takes effort, my friends. It, it, has, it, has, it requires our involvement. But anyway, let's continue reading. It says, this analogy appears to break down, however, in the case of the third temple, which, according to all sources, to include the book of Revelation, it says here, in fact, well, can I just throw this out? It says that it, it, when it's quoting the, the fact that the third temple will not be made by human hands, that's in the book of Revelation. It says in the book of Revelation that the third temple is going to descend from Shemayim. Well, it says here that that exact same comment is made in, are you ready for that? Are you sitting down? The Zohar. That's right. Everybody is scared of the Zohar, and yet the Zohar and the book of Revelation concur. And this isn't the first time. Uh, Mikael has a version of the Zohar that has uh, a significant amount of commentary in it. And in the Zohar, it's talking about how the Aleph and the Tav represent the Mashiach, basically, if I could just paraphrase. And it actually references the book of Revelation in the comments because it says in the book of Revelation, the Yeshua, the Mashiach, is the, the Alpha and the Omega. But of course, it's not the Alpha and Omega. That's the merely a translation. It's really the Aleph Tav. So anyway, I digress. Sorry. This is just a little drive-by insights. So it says... In the case of the third temple, according to the Zohar, which will be built by God and not by man, the third temple is not going to be built by the anti-Messiah. Sorry. It says, it seems at first glance that Ramban's analogy for the third temple of digging a well is inappropriate. However, it says, even according to the Zohar, the third temple is built through man's effort too. How? It's not through the physical effort of working with stones and mortar, but rather by the dedicated acts of super-rational mitzvah observance by Jewish people in defiance of the challenges of exile. The cumulative effort, it says here, of these acts are thus described by the Zohar as a building made by God. Though, in fact, it's a building made by human mitzvahs, acts that are totally dedicated to God. In other words, 
as I, I think I, I, I talked about this on, uh, maybe it was on the first day of the week, that, and I've said this many times, so maybe I, if I didn't say this then, I've, I've said it before, and that is that we have to understand something that, um, I talked about this, in fact, in our class downtown at, at, the, uh, at the sheriff's office yesterday, that our, our mystery keeping, doing what we do, is not just about us. See, this is this is what's so important about having a community. And this is, again, addressing a very common, if you'll pardon me, Gentile mentality. And the Gentile mentality is the Lone Ranger mentality. The Gentile mentality likes to get online and listen to 50,000 different teachers but never settle on one rabbi, never settle on one community. And the reason for all this is because we've been taught, oftentimes subconsciously, in our theological understanding, to be theologically selfish. What do I mean by that? Well, we've been taught in our theology, again, oftentimes subconsciously, that it's all about us. That we need, we need to be saved. We need to have messages given to us that are relevant to our lives. And that when we show up to the building, I often joke about this, but if you really think about it, it's really true. We won't show up a lot of times if they don't have a good coffee bar. We showed up and wait. They were out of scones. I'm out. The way that people get people to come to, to, to congregations to hear messages very often is through serving some kind of, of food. If they don't have Six Flags over JC, we were not going to go there. It's all about us. It, it, it's a, it creates a, a spiritual millennial mentality that it has to be all about us. It's what do we need? What do I want? This is If you listen to modern day praise and worship music, just listen to it. If you, if you haven't for a while, listen to it. And notice all the I's and me's in there. And uh, we've, we've been taught this, and not understanding, this is the point I want to get to, that our observance, when you're observing, let me, let me just break it down to you. Ladies, listen. This goes for guys too, but let me just address the ladies for a moment. You're lighting candles on Shabbat. When you do that, you're joining with millions of other ladies across the globe who are doing the same thing and collectively building the temple. Gentlemen, when we put on seat seat in the morning, kosher seat seat, not the belt loop ones, I'm just saying, we're talking angry. You have to have the kosher ones. If you don't know where to get the kosher ones, call our office here at Sarshalom, we'll help you. But when you put on seat seat, such a simple act, well, how much effort does it take to light a candle? Not much. How much effort does it take to put on a seat seat and say a bracha? Not much. I do it every morning, it takes me like five seconds. But, Collectively, you're doing that with millions of other men, and you're building the base of God. It's not about you only. That's the point. Everything we're doing is not about you only. Being a part of the community is not about you only. Your involvement. You show up to the synagogue every week, or you precious people that join us online. It's important. You join us online. We like to see you. But when I see your face, or I see your name, like this morning, I sit down. All you people are there. It's amazing. 
There's 84 people watching live right now. It's encouraging to me. You know what it does to me? It inspires me. Wants me to dig deeper. Wants me to be better. Wants me to have more insights. Wants me to to do everything I can to ignite a passion in your life, ignite a passion you, because you've ignited a passion in my life. So you show up at the synagogue and you see somebody and you think, I don't know, is my involvement here? That doesn't matter. Yes, it does. When people see your face, they get excited. They have somebody to whom they can say, Shabbat Shalom. Shalom Aleichem. Anyway, it's important. It's not just about us. And the, and the, when people leave community and when people are, are out there lone rangering, the problem is, the number one problem is, they've made it all about them. So anyway, I just want to encourage you that your involvement, my involvement in the community is important. We just got the reading about the third well. What? We're, by the way, if you're not don't understand, we're building the third well now, the third temple. That's what this is all about. Lapid Judaism is about bringing Mashiach. How are we bringing Mashiach? By bringing souls into the kingdom. This is why we davened yesterday. We fasted yesterday. And it's not. It's, it's just the first of many times we're going to fast this year. Bezrat Hashem. To bring in the holy spark. Because it's critical. Whenever we see an open seat at our synagogue. Or if you're a Lapid house somewhere. And you see an open seat in your house. You've invited people over. Don't get discouraged. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want you to get discouraged. But I just want you to, to, to let that be a motivation. And say Hashem please fill that seat. Hashem, please bring the Holy Spark that's supposed to sit here and supposed to enjoy Oneg with me. Please, Hashem, bring them and yearn for them and want them. And not just let it be a passing crowd. Like, oh, we hope everybody comes to the shul. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Hashem, please. This is why we exist. Bring the Holy Spark. So it says converts in the wells. What, what's this inside? This comes from uh, Rebbeinu Bakya. What else do the the wells represent in our life, in, in, or excuse me, in this in this meaning. It says, according to Rebbe Nubakia, <clears throat> some commentators claim that the wells are allusions to converts who had been converted in Abraham's time to monotheism. The allusion would symbolize that conversion was as easy as accepting a source of water which the earth provides for free. Did you hear that? First of all, these wells represent the converts that Abraham brought in. And secondly, conversion is relatively easy. So it says, opening a heart which had been closed to belief in God is compared to digging. Wow. This is what I mean by prayer. You know how we you know how we can dig primarily? By praying. You've got to dig for people. You know, when you're looking for diamonds, if all you do is walk across the surface and say, Hashem, please provide me a diamond. But you never get out a shovel and start digging, you'll never find a diamond. You should be digging and asking God, find me the diamond. So it says, this is why the Torah describes the Philistines as having stopped up the hearts of these converts. That is, filled them with dust, filled them with bad teaching, bad theology. This is why we need to pray for people. Hashem, please rem remove the dust from their hearts. Remove the dust from their eyes. Remember, remove the bad theology. Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. 
There's many people in the Hebrew roots, many people in sacred name, many people in, in Messianic who are been taught anti-Semitic doctrines. Hashem, please set them free. Because allegorically speaking, whereas Abraham had, had, had filled the mouths of the converts with water, that is life-giving Torah knowledge, it says here, their pagan uh, compatriots filled them with earth. With things of the earth, with cares of the earth. Somebody that teaches somebody that don't don't eat kosher, eat whatever you want, that's filling them with earth. Why? Because you're focusing on worldly pleasure. I'd rather have the shrimp cocktail than truth. That's what somebody's saying. Whereas the Apostle Shaul in his letter to the uh, Colossians said, don't let people judge you by what you eat. Right? A lot of people this, this week that unfortunately are going to be judged by their Christian or friends and relatives because they refuse to eat the ham. Don't let anybody judge you by that. Just stay calm. Anyway, it says they the expression Rafe, earth, dust, to describe pagan religion's concept is not novel. We find it in Baba Batra, that's the Talmud 16, as describing someone like Job who used uh, uh, special garments to decry God's system of justice. The Torah reports that after a while, Yitzhak made the effort to reconvert these converts his father had made. It is the nature of people who engage in missionary activity. I'm reading Rabbeinu Bakya. Let me just repeat that sentence because some of you just swerved off the road if you're driving. It is the nature of people who engage in missionary activity to place a great deal of emphasis on the names they give their converts. Yitzhak did just this and named the people with whom he succeeded with the very same names his father what are we talking about here? The image of the Father that was laid down on the altar for our atonement gave those who he converted the same name that his Father had given them. See, many of you, when you convert, you're going to take on a Hebrew name. Some of you, not all of you. It's not required to do so. It's customary. But I just want to tell you that the name you take is the name that God had already given you. He's, al he's, he's allowed you to find it. Now, I, I, I'm pretty much out of time, but I just want to share one more insight here. And we'll conclude, and we'll just come back tomorrow because there's, again, so much more to share. But here it is. This is just an in interesting aside from everything I've said thus far. This is a... a this is a, an insight from the Gutnik Chumash that basically says that our father, quote-unquote, is the Akiva. Yeah, yeah. Here it is. It says, the Talmud states that in the future redemption, we will say to Yitzhak, you are our father. Now, who's Yitzhak? Yitzhak is the Akiva, the son laid, who was the image of the father, sacrificed on the altar for the atonement of our sins. That's who Yitzhak is. We're going to call him our father. And it says, more so than the other patriarchs, the messianic quality of Yitzhak is evident here in the account of how Abimelech came on his own violation to make peace with, with Isaac. 
an account which is reminiscent of the time when in the end of days the mountain of God's house will be established as chief above all the mountains, and all the nations will flood to it, and many people will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of God and hear the Torah. End of our Aliyah today. We'll be back tomorrow with so many insights. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us and being with us today. Maybe God's will that you're able to join me tomorrow. And maybe God's will that we're able to enjoy so many more insights. Be encouraged. Be blessed. Like the video. That'd be amazing if you would do that for us and share it with your friends. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.